0: Welcome, Middle Earth Wanderers. I hope you've already enjoyed the third episode of Rings of Power, titled Adar, because today is a spoiler rich breakdown of the lore. If you haven't watched it yet, and spoilers are your buzzkill, then stop listening, go watch it, and come back. My approach today is a little different. I asked a few family and friends who are watching Rings of Power to send me questions after they watched it, and I'll be answering those questions today. I want to open that up to all of you, Middle Earth Wanderers. After you watch episode 4 of Rings of Power, send me your questions. I'll do my best to answer them. You can send me questions by finding me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or by sending me an email. Use the links in the show notes to find me and send me your questions. Also in the show notes, you'll find links to purchase my most used resources for researching the wide world of J.R.R. Tolkien, as well as discount links for Amazon Prime or Amazon Video if you haven't signed up for those yet. And if you like what you hear, you can also support the Lore of the Rings podcast by giving a monetary donation. You'll find a link also in the show notes to do so. Now, on to the Lore of Amazon's Rings of Power, Episode 3, Adar. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth? Then listen and subscribe. of and fellow wanderers. Let's start with the first major realm we see in this episode, or as Galadriel says, quote, the land of the star, the westernmost of all mortal lands, the island kingdom of Numenor. We've covered Numenor in a few previous episodes, but let me give you a one-minute snapshot. Numenor is indeed an island in the shape of a five-pointed star, that was raised from the depths of the sea and given to the Adain. The Adain were three major clans of humans who allied with and helped the elves in the first age of Middle-earth. For their service and friendship, the Adain were given Numenor for a kingdom. The first king of Numenor was Elros, the brother of Elrond. More on that in a second. And the last king was ar Numenor became a great seafaring kingdom, eventually returning to Middle-earth. However, they were banned from sailing so far west that they could no longer see their island. This ban came from the Valar, the divine beings in the far west who govern the world. The Numenorians were blessed with long life, usually about 500 years. However, over Numenor's roughly 3,000 years of existence, the people became slowly fearful of death and eventually rebelled against the Valar and thus Numenor was drowned in the sea. The Numenorians also practiced a religion. They worshipped the creator, Iluvatar. However, as time passed and their resentment grew, this worship was gradually neglected and then outright rejected. For more details on Numenor, check out episodes 34 through 39 and 46. One of the common questions I received was about the statues in Numenor. The faces carved into the rock in the water passageway, I'm guessing, are statues of the Valar. One clue to this is they're larger than life-size. The only one that can be easily identified is the male on a horse with a waterfall in his hand. I believe this is Orome, the great hunter, who first discovered the elves after they awoke and who also led the elves to Valinor in the great march. In the huge bay area is a ginormous statue of Eirindil. Eirindil is the father of Elros and thus the founding grandfather, if you will, of Numenor. He was a great mariner who asked the Valar for help in defeating Morgoth in the first age. As a consequence, he and his wife Elwing could choose to become immortal elves or mortal humans, and they chose the first, to inherit the gifts of the elves. In one part of their story, Elwing was transformed into a giant swan, hence the bird with outstretched wings on the statue's shoulder. I have a few more details about Ead Indil we'll get to in just a minute, but if you'd like to hear his full tale and some cool connections to Aragorn, listen to episodes 30 through 33. I was also asked if Numenor is the same place as other kingdoms of men that we see in the movies, most notably Minas Tirith of Gondor. The short answer is that, no, Numenor is totally different, being an island kingdom that existed only during the second age of Middle-earth, and we've only ever seen the third age depicted on screen before. Indeed, every kingdom of men we've seen is in decay, diminished from the days of its former glory, but not Numenor. Numenor is the pinnacle the apex of human kingdoms on middle earth and sadly we will be witnesses of its fall now the notion of the fall may be unfamiliar to some listeners and we're about to take a religious turn for a minute as a devout catholic tolkien was acutely aware of the opening stories of the bible which share the fall of adam and eve in a letter to wilt malman included in many editions of the silmarillion tolkien defined the fall as quote rebelling against the laws of the creator especially against mortality. And he even summarized all of his Middle-earth writings by saying, quote, all of this stuff, yes, he used the word stuff to describe his life's work, all of this stuff is mainly concerned with fall, mortality, and the machine. The story of Numenor, how its people rebelled against their creator, as exemplified in the Valar, and their rage against mortality and its perceived unfairness, is Tolkien's clearest example on the themes of the fall and mortality let's dive a little deeper on elros the first king of Numenor. elros has a couple of cameos in this rings of power episode galadriel mentions his name regarding the hall of lore that it was designed by elros then she and elindil examine a tapestry that depicts elros and elrond this tapestry gives a few clues first the divergence of the elves and men with elros on one side and elrond on another with waters like the seas under men and roots of a tree under the elves It's hard to see, but near the top, between the two brothers, is a bright star. More on that star in a moment. So why two brothers, one of human blood, the other of elven? Think back to their parents, Eadindil and Elwing. Eadindil and Elwing were the product of two pairings of humans with elves. Remember, those pairings were mentioned in the first Rings of Power episode. So both had human and elvish blood in them. After they journeyed into the West and lobbied for their races, they were granted the choice, but also their children could choose as well. I'm not aware of any reasoning or justification that Tolkien provided for why Elros chose mortal man and Elrond chose immortal elves, but it brings up an interesting question. If you could choose, which one would you pick? Mortality with humans or immortality with elves? Think about that for a minute. Although he chose mortality, Elros still inherited several elvish traits. Longevity of life, around 500 years for one. Another trait Tolkien described in a note that's published in Karl Hostetter's book, The Nature of Middle-Earth. Quote, Beardlessness. Thus, none of the Numenorean chieftains of descent from Elros, whether kings or not, would be bearded. That's a detail that often, thankfully, gets ignored, as you can see in the tapestry that Elros has a beard, while Elrond does not. And technically, Elindil and Aragorn, being descendants of Elros, would not have beards either. Okay, one last question about Numenor for now. Who is the king that Elindil refers to? And why is he in exile in his own kingdom? This king is known as Tar-Palantir. He is Muriel's father. According to the lore, he would have been dead at this point. So having him alive and in exile is a device of the Rings of Power writers. But let's flesh this out a little bit, and we get a few clues from the way people react to Galadriel. As she walks through the town, onlookers question if she's an elf. Elendil advises her that she doesn't want to be lost, and her pointy ears are enough to stop the workings of the royal court and gain audience to the queen regent Muriel. Also, the court treats Galadriel with humiliating derision. Keep in mind that Elindil mentions a hall of lore would have been destroyed if not for the current king, because he is loyal to the elves. Tar Palantir was king in Numenor in a time when the people had rejected their friendship with the elves. As noted in Appendix A of Return of the King, Palantir, quote, repented of the ways of the kings, and, quote, the power and wealth of the Numenorians continued to increase, But their years lessened as their fear of death grew, and their joy departed. Tar-Palantir attempted to amend the evil, but it was too late, and there was rebellion and strife in Numenor. Palantir was highly unpopular with the people of Numenor because of his loyalty to the elves. His mother had been an unknown member of the underground movement known as the Faithful, who, you can imagine, wished to maintain a relationship with elves and remain loyal to the Valar. Miriel mentions the faithful in her conversation with Elindil, almost like she's trying to feel out where Elindil's allegiances lie, with Numenor or with the elves. We learn later that Elindil speaks the elvish language Quenya, and yes, he is faithful to the elves. Miriel as well had leanings towards supporting the faithful, which she no doubt inherited from her father, Palantir. What this supposed moment they've been waiting for, the prophecy of the elf having arrived, I don't think that's a Tolkien tale being referred to there. I think that's simply a Rings of Power invention. So, the people of Numenor, as shown in Rings of Power, are not friendly with the elves, even so far as to place their own king in house arrest because of his loyalties. Indeed, to be accurate to Tolkien's lore, quote, Palantir's daughter should have been the fourth queen, Tarmiriel, but the king's nephew usurped the scepter and became ar the Golden, last king of Numenor. And, quote, when Palantir died, his nephew, leader of the Rebellion, seized the scepter and became King Arvarazon. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now. Back to Wandering! In Rings of Power episode 3, we also see orcs of the second age. I've been asked, why can't these orcs go in the sun? Let's see if we can answer that. The first reference that comes to mind is the Fellowship of the Ring movie, when the Fellowship is leaving Lothlorien, and Killeborn warns Aragorn, seldom do orcs journey in the open under the sun, yet these have done so. These of course were the race of orcs known as the Urukai, who could endure the sun though their northern cousins, a more common breed of orc, could not, as demonstrated when they are carrying Merry and Pippin across Rohan. Quote, In the afternoon, Uglug's troop overtook the northerners. They were flagging in the rays of the bright sun. Winter sun, shining in a pale, cool sky though it was. Their heads were down, and their tongues lolling out. Clearly, the sun was not kind to orcs. Treebeard the Ent gives a great clue when he says to Merry and Pippin, Quote, it is a mark of evil things that came in the great darkness, that they cannot abide the sun, but Sauron's orcs can endure it, even if they hate it. Let's go back even further in Lord of the Rings time to the creation of the sun. Several times in Rings of Power, Gladriel says that she was born before the sun, and she was, during the light of the two trees. After the destruction of the two trees, the world was plunged into darkness. Besides the Silmarils, The only light that was salvaged from the two trees was a silver flower and a golden fruit. From these, the Valar created the moon and sun. Because, as Tolkien writes in the Silmarillion, They resolved now to illumine Middle-earth, and with light to hinder the deeds of Morgoth. Morgoth was the evil foe of the Valar and the elves. Morgoth hated the new lights, and was for a while confounded by this unlooked-for stroke of the Valar. With shadows he hid himself, and his servants, from Aryan. Aryan was the name of the maiden chosen to pilot the sun, the glance of whose eyes they could not long endure. Because Morgoth and his servants could not endure the light of the sun, quote, the lands near his dwellings were shrouded in fumes and great clouds. Using clouds to disperse the sunlight was a tactic used by Morgoth's successor Sauron in the Third Age. Before the Battle of Minas Tirith, Sauron sent forth great, dark, billowing cloud cover so that his armies could not have to endure the light of the sun. In Appendix B of Return of the King, March 10th is defined as the Dawnless Day, because the clouds were so thick that they almost completely blocked the sun. What happened on that day? Quote, the muster of Rohan, Faramir rescued by Gandalf outside the gates of the city. Aragorn crosses the river Ringlo, an army from the Moranin, the black gate of Moror, takes Carandros and passes into Honorion. Frodo passes the crossroads and sees the Morgul host set forth. So this day, the Dawnless Day, is the pivot point. Sauron's armies are closing in on Gondor, Aragorn is racing to Minas Tirith, and Frodo is attempting to enter Mordor. A dark day indeed, and not only because of Sauron's cloud shield against the sun. In Rings of Power, the orcs also mention that they serve someone they refer to as Adar. This is also the title of the episode. Arondir, the elf, recognizes Adar as an elvish word. Adar is a variation of the word Atar, meaning father. Most notably, it is the name of the one god who created the Valar and the world. Iluvatar, or to pronounce it another way, Iluvatar, meaning father of all. The elves conjecture that Adar refers to one of the names of Sauron, but as far as I can tell, Sauron didn't use that particular title. So I'm guessing that Adar is a rings of power invention of a major servant to Sauron, like a lieutenant over orcs. Remember, Sauron doesn't have the ringwraiths yet, so what structure does he have in place to keep his strategy in operation? I should also note here that someone asked me if Sauron is an elf. No, Sauron is not an elf. He is from a class of spirits called the Maiar. So, in the divine hierarchy of Middle-earth, we have Iluvatar, the creator at the top, then the Valar, of which Morgoth is kin, and then the Maiar. The Maiar are servants to the Valar, although some were corrupted to follow Morgoth. Other notable Maiar include the Ents, the Eagles, the Balrogs, and the Wizards, like Gandalf. However, the more evil Sauron did, the more bound to his physical form he became. So technically, he can't die, but his power can be so diminished that he essentially no longer poses a threat, which is what happened when the Wan Ring was destroyed. For more on Sauron's origins and his doings in the Second Age, listen to episode 45. Okay, I can't not say anything about the Stranger. This seems to be where most of the mystery for Rings of Power lies. My brother asked me if the Stranger was Oloran, which is Gandalf's ancient name, and that's certainly one theory. When the stranger is finally revealed to the Harfoot clan, Nori's father asks the clan leader Sadok, quote, "Have you ever heard tale of beings falling from the stars?" Sadok replies, quote, "I've heard of beings who are turned into stars, never the other way around." Who in Middle-earth has turned into a star? The only one I know of was Eärendil, the father of Elrond and Elros. Remember that star on the tapestry in the Hall of Lore? That's Eärendil. Eärendil and Elwing possessed the single reclaimed Silmaril After the choice to be immortal, Eirindil's ship was refashioned so that he could sail among the skies, the Silmaril providing the light of a new star. This is the star that is above Galadriel when she reveals to Frodo that she is a ring-bearer. Quote, Eirindil, the evening star, most beloved of the elves, shone clear above. What an extraordinary tale that must have been for even the reclusive, secretive Harfoots, far in the east of Middle-earth, to have heard rumors of Eirindil even if they don't know all the details. The Stranger is clearly concerned with the stars, and one constellation in particular. I've heard another theory for The Stranger, and I wish I could credit the original source, but I don't know who it was. The theory is that The Stranger is the man in the moon, and I think it's a compelling guess. While in Bree, Frodo finds himself in an awkward situation, and so to defuse the tension, he does what any hobbit would do. He sings a silly song. That's what you would do, right? The song is about the man in the moon who, quote, came down one night to drink his fill. Could the stranger found by the Harfoots be the origins of their legend of a man in the moon? Actually, the Hobbit's understanding of the man in the moon is quite sophisticated. When we go back to the origins of the moon, I mentioned before one of the Maiar was chosen to pilot the sun. This was Arian, a female spirit. Also, another member of the Maiar was chosen to pilot the moon, Tilion, a male spirit. This is why, in Lord of the Rings, the sun is referred to as she, and the moon as he. Could the stranger be Tilion, the Maiar who pilots the moon, somehow fallen from his vessel into Middle-earth? We'll have to wait and see. That's it for today. Again, after you watch Rings of Power Episode 4, please send me your questions. Use the links in the show notes to email me or find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Thanks for listening, and happy wandering. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at More of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.